R.C. Sproul is a guy that I really, really respect. He's a great scholar and pastor. And uh, when he preached the first part of John 3, he said, I find it one of the most difficult texts in all of the New Testament to deal with adequately. And uh, for a brilliant guy, it's always nice to hear brilliant guys like that say that as you're preparing to preach on John 3. It's almost like this is an impossible task. Well, it really is a difficult text to preach well, to preach well, Um, but it's a critical one. The guts of this message is the core of the Christian faith. A sovereign and good God saves sinners. A sovereign and good God saves sinners. And I want to preach this in such a way that your heart rejoices over this truth. That, that it, it induces joy in your life. It is a precious, precious truth of the word. It means a lot to me personally. And I want you to see its infinite value and worth this morning. The motto of modern preaching seems to be, make it practical and entertaining. Preach topics that your people want to hear, things that they're going through and struggling with. And I guess that's okay, but some texts in the Bible are more informative and doctrinal and contain things to believe rather than things to directly do. Biblical doctrine is always practical and always relevant. Here's an example. The world is round. Newsflash, right? The world is round. Well, that's helpful to know, but that's really difficult to apply. But when you start to ask, why is it round? How did it become round? Was it always round? When you think beyond what you already know, you begin to uncover deeper truths, and they take you somewhere through the universe of design and laws and intricacy and precision to an awesome God who created it all. And what we believe about God and the universe greatly informs our everyday lives. So even things on the surface that seem like they're not that applicable are deeply applicable, and we need to be careful, and we need to know these things, and we need to try to do the work to apply them in our lives and allow God's word to take us there. So when you hear sermons with more of a doctrinal or theological concentration, don't tune it out. Don't tune it out because God wants you to think beyond what you know about him already. He wants you to believe him and everything he reveals to you. Doctrine always matters because God always matters and his word always matters. Now, after this sermon, you're probably going to have some questions. I totally understand that. I think that's good. It shows that you're thinking. But it's impossible for me to stand up here and to say everything that needs to be said. I can't possibly cover everything. It is impossible. I can't look from every angle and handle every you know, question that comes up. It, it, we'd be here forever. Um, but if you do have questions, I, I just challenge you to process them this way. Think about them shoot me an email, or write your questions down, hand them to me. That way it gives me some time to think about what you guys are thinking and and what I might not have made clear, 
and it'll give me an opportunity to then respond in some way, shape, or form that might be helpful to you, or at least steer you to some good resources. Through my preaching, I want to see God awaken in your hearts a passion for his word, a passion for his word, a growing commitment to adjust your thinking and lives to the truth of his word and for his truth to stir you to a greater happiness, a happiness that you have not experienced anywhere else. And for that to happen, we must believe the Bible. This this book, we must believe it no matter what it says or what it challenges us to do. This is radical faith. So first we asked the question, why is it important to understand being born again? That's what Nicodemus and Jesus were talking about. Why is it important to understand being born again? First reason, Jesus said it was important. What he thinks is important, we should also think is important. In verse 3 and 5, Jesus said, truly, truly. He often said that. To draw attention to what he was about to say. He was preparing people, hey, this is important, listen closely. He's teaching Nicodemus something important. He wants Nicodemus and us to listen closely. To listen closely and to really hear what he's saying. Second reason it's important to understand being born again is because Jesus said it is the only way to see and enter the kingdom of God. So before we go too far, what's the kingdom of God and why should we even want to see it or want to enter it in the first place? Now, if someone randomly offered you a bag of ice in the middle, in the middle of the winter, on your way into work, you wouldn't be very interested, right? I don't really need a bag of ice. Until you find out that ice is slang for diamonds and the bag happens to be worth millions of dollars. Then you might take a different interest in receiving a bag of ice. The importance of receiving the diamonds depends entirely upon the definition and value of ice. If it's just water in the hard, frozen form, not interested. If it means and is defined by valuable diamonds, you're really interested. The importance of being born again depends entirely on the infinite value of the kingdom of God. The infinite value of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not an easy concept to understand from the scripture. Scholars view it different ways. The Bible talks about it in different ways it can be difficult to understand. And so I'm not going to solve it. I'm not going to answer all questions about the kingdom of God this morning, but I think a few simple things to keep in mind will help you in determining um, what the kingdom of God is and why it's so awesome and then why being born again is so important because that's the key to the kingdom. So when you hear the word kingdom, what do you think? Kingdom. Probably that there's a king who has sovereign power and authority and reigns, protects, and provides for his people. Something probably similar to that. James Hamilton Jr. writes, any kingdom will consist of a king, his realm, and its citizens, and the law that regulates their lives. Makes sense with what we understand of kingdom. That is true of God. There is a king. It's called the kingdom of God because God is the king over the kingdom. The throne belongs to Jesus, who the Bible tells us is king of kings. 
The king has sovereign power and authority. George Eldon Ladd was a prominent evangelical scholar and professor at Fuller Theological Seminary in California. He wrote, First of all, a kingdom is the authority to rule, the sovereignty of the king. The authority to rule, the sovereignty of the king. Jesus is sovereign over everything and rules everything. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He said, God gave him authority to execute judgment. Paul said, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and put all things under his feet. Jesus has sovereign power over everything. The kingdom of God is first and foremost about a king and about the authority, the sovereignty of that king. Well, the king reigns, protects, and provides for his people. God is a good king, a good king who reigns with fairness and justice and equity and virtue and generosity, and wealth, and riches. He protects, he provides, he prospers. He always leads to victory. Don't you want to be part of a kingdom that always wins? He is always victorious. Everyone in the kingdom is satisfied with abundant blessings. None are discontent. None are disappointed with being a part of that kingdom. When you hear kingdom of God, go first to the king. Go to the king, and then go to his sovereign rule, and then go to his domain. King, rule, domain. But that's not all there is to say about the kingdom of God. To complicate things, the Bible talks about the kingdom being here and now, And also something we enter more fully in the future. We call this the already, not yet. The already, not yet. The kingdom is now and the kingdom will be then. George Eldon Ladd continues, The kingdom is a present reality and yet it is a future blessing. It is an inner spiritual redemptive blessing which can be experienced only by way of the new birth and yet it will have to do with the government of the nations of the world. The kingdom is a realm into which men enter now, and yet it is a realm into which they will enter tomorrow. It is at the same time a gift of God, which will be bestowed by God in the future, and yet must, and, and yet which must be received in the present. We have a king now. We are joyfully under his benevolent rule now. We are fellow servants now, but there will come a day when we will experience the fullness of his kingdom in the future. A few more things. The kingdom is already here. Jesus said to some Pharisees in Luke 17, 20, and 21 that the kingdom of God was in their midst. So he was growing the kingdom in their midst, but it would come in its fullness later on. The kingdom is good news. Jesus said in Luke 4.43 that he was sent for the purpose of preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world or from this world. Jesus said this in John 18.36. His kingdom is ethereal. It's transcendent. It's spiritual. It's more, than, more amazing, more wonderful than any other earthly kingdom of all of history. 
The kingdom of God is growing into an incredible place of rest and prosperity. In Mark 4, 30 through 32, Jesus compared the kingdom to a small, tiny mustard seed. Um, But then over time, this small seed grows into this incredibly fruitful and strong plant that provides nesting and shade for birds. The kingdom is growing. People are entering the kingdom of God. They're being saved And they enter into its peace and protection and prosperity. This is a good kingdom. This is God's kingdom. He is sovereign. He rules over this kingdom. His grace reigns in this kingdom. His goodness reigns in this kingdom. It is one of great goodness, one of great rest, one of great prosperity. The kingdom of of God is eternal life with God. In Mark 10, 25 and 26, in John 3, the kingdom is equated with salvation. And in Mark 9, 47 and 48, it is contrasted with hell. So the kingdom is God's eternal reign and eternal life or enjoying God's full blessing forever. That's what the kingdom of God is. William Hendrickson wrote, when Jesus speaks about entering the kingdom of God, it is clear that the expression is equivalent to having everlasting life or being saved. The kingdom of God is the realm in which his rule is recognized and obeyed and in which his grace prevails. Church, we are the kingdom of God because we are under the rule and authority of Jesus Christ. We take our cues from him, and it is a good thing to obey God. He protects us from certain things. He blesses us with certain things of knowing him and being in that relationship under his authority. His grace does indeed prevail. The kingdom of God is awesome because God rules it. He's the one in charge. His grace reigns. God is the perfect leader. As much as our political leaders fail us, amen? We have a God who never fails, who never fails. He never leads us into some weird direction. So is the kingdom of God right now? Yes. Everyone who is born again is part of God's kingdom now under his good leadership and promised his protection and provision and blessing. We are part of God's kingdom now. His blessings are now. Is the kingdom of God something that will come in the future? Yes. Everyone who is born again is promised to experience the fullness of God's reign and rule and protection and provision without sin, without death, without pain, without heartache. One day, we're going to be there. In His kingdom, in His perfect kingdom, and His grace will reign. No more pain. What a day that will be. Through Christ, we have the kingdom now, but we will receive it in full then. This is why we must talk about being born again. The kingdom of God is too awesome, too magnificent, too amazing, too awe-inspiring to miss because we thought it was gained another way. Because we led our whole life just believing that the kingdom of God would come some other way than being born again, and we totally missed the kingdom because we have missed what Jesus meant. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's impossible to see or to enter the kingdom without being born again. There are no alternatives. There's no other way. There's no back door or back stairway. When Jesus said he cannot enter, it means he is unable to enter. 
It's not happening. Can you see why this is so important? No one is able to see or enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. We want to be born again. We want other people to be born again because the kingdom of God is indescribable. And I pray that you will sense both the urgency of this message and the significance of what we're talking about. What does it mean to be born again? That's what Jesus wants us to understand. What does it mean to be born again? At the end of chapter two, we read that Jesus knew all people and he knew what was in man. And interestingly enough, chapter three begins, now there was a man. So Jesus knew Nicodemus inside and out. He knew everything about him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious and devout man, educated in the scriptures. He was a ruler of the Jews or a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court um, of government. He was intelligent. He was powerful. He had position and he came to Jesus during the night. Now, we're not told in the scriptures why he came during the night, but it could mean several things. Perhaps he was busy that day and couldn't get around to coming to Jesus, or maybe he wanted to catch Jesus during off-peak hours when he wasn't busy with everyone. He's just, I want to sit with Jesus, so I'll go at night when, you know, when he's winding down, and I'll grab him then. Uh, It could be that he was hiding it and embarrassed to go see Jesus. Whatever the reason was, he was curious. Jesus piqued his interest. He wanted to go talk to this guy. And so he says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now, he got a bunch right there. Jesus had no official rabbinical training. All right, he was not like the rabbis of the day. But Nicodemus addressed him as rabbi, a great term of respect. He said, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now, Nicodemus is not a believer. He has not been born again, but he did recognize that Jesus was sent from God and that the signs that Jesus was performing was authenticating that, he, that God indeed sent this, this guy. Remember chapter two, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So Jesus did a bunch of signs and people saw those signs, were amazed by those signs and Nicodemus and others knew this guy is legit. I mean, this guy is from God because he can't do this stuff without God. So I guess Nicodemus was so curious about the power of Jesus that he had to pay him a visit. And Jesus took the conversation right to the heart of salvation. Jesus will do this. If you you study him, sometimes you're like, why is he going in that direction? Oh, that's why. He took took, uh, Nicodemus right to the heart of salvation, something that Nicodemus should have known as a pious Jew and leader of the Jews, should have known a lot about. Jesus began to explain to Nicodemus this new birth, or what theologians call regeneration. New birth and regeneration are the same thing. So what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be regenerated? First, to be born is a passive verb. Birth happens to you. God forms baby. Mom does the work of delivery, and baby is along for the ride, right? Mom gives birth. She is active. Baby is born. Baby is passive. The second Greek word is really interesting. It does mean again, born again, as in a second time. But most of the time in the New Testament, it means from above, 
So being born again is the same as being born from above. Well, what does it mean that a person is born from above? Well, that's what Nicodemus misunderstood. He said in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All right, that's just sarcasm. He's being sarcastic with God. He's being sarcastic with God. What are you thinking? Anyway, I probably would have said the same thing. Um, Birth canal try number two is where his mind went. Obviously, that can't happen. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Um, The new birth has nothing to do with the mother's womb. But it's similar. It's not a natural birth. It's a supernatural birth that comes from above. God is active in giving spiritual birth and the sinner is passive in being born again. To be born again is to have God breathe spiritual life into you. God is at work. Think about the parallel. The miracle of life happens when a husband and a wife come together and co-create with God. A life is created where there was no life. The little baby was at one point non-existent. And then all of a sudden that baby is born uh, through a process that God guides and forms that child and they're born something from nothing. God gave baby life. And he does that spiritually as well. David asked God, create in me a what? Clean heart. God said in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. To be born again is to have God create in you a new heart, a new spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive. Being born again is to be made alive by God's grace. Paul calls, it, calls us a new creation. He said in Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Being born again is to be made new. To be made new. To be created after the likeness and holiness of God. Even though Nicodemus was religious, he wasn't born again. God hadn't changed him yet. Yet, study the life of Nicodemus. He comes around. He believes. He becomes a Christian. Being born again or regenerated is the most incredible thing that can happen to you. you, and, And as you start to understand regeneration, as you study it, and you know what the Bible says about it, and you 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 just grow in your knowledge of the new birth and how it applies to you, you'll find that your view of God will grow bigger. He will become more amazing to you. He will become more powerful to you. He will become more good to you. If you overlook the sovereignty of God in spiritual new birth, you will miss a lot about the character of God. The more profoundly you know the sovereignty of God, the more trustworthy God will be for you. Your assurance in God's will and in your salvation will skyrocket if you get this principle that we're talking about today. And I want you to enjoy the full benefits of the sovereignty of God. Paul teaches in Galatians 6.15 that the only thing that counts for anything is a new creation. 
We contribute nothing to the new birth. We just bring nothing to the table. And realizing that opens new spiritual doors for us. Let me show it to you from the Bible by asking another question. How is someone born again? The answer to this could just totally renovate your thinking this morning. How is someone born again? A critical question that God clearly answers in the Bible, in our text and outside of our text in other places of Scripture. God wants us to know how people change. How people change. How did we change? What is our hope that someone that we know that is caught is going to change? What, what needs to happen? What needs to go on? Because if we want change in our culture, if we want change in our society, we want that to come. We want to know how that happens. Think of all the hopeless people longing for a second chance. This is it. This is the chance. In verse 3, Jesus accentuated this statement. He says, take a look in verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice human inability. Jesus said he cannot see, meaning he has no power to see the kingdom apart from the new birth. John uses the word unless, so we know seeing the kingdom is dependent on something. Unless one is born again. Now jump down to verse 5. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Same language as verse 3. To be born of water and the Spirit is to be born again. That's the same thing. No one has the ability to enter the kingdom unless that new birth happens. Well, what does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? That seems a little odd. Born of water. What does he mean by water? Is it baptism? In order to get into the kingdom, you have to be baptized? Is it natural childbirth? That seems a little odd because that's assumed we all have life and have been born. Maybe some ritual washing that we need to go through, some external washing with water that would uh, take us into the kingdom. Probably the best option in this tricky subject uh, this, this tricky uh, phrase here is that being born of water is being spiritually washed by God's grace. Spiritually washed by God's grace. The Holy Spirit washes you and makes you clean in God's sight. Now, I'm getting that from somewhere. I think that nicely harmonizes with the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36.25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. That sounds like a pretty good explanation of John 3, 5, I think. We cannot enter the kingdom of God unless God himself cleanses us from our sin. That is being born of water. Paul links these same two things in Titus 3, 5. He says, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that would be the new birth, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that's being born of the Spirit. To be born of water in the Spirit, I believe, is to be regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit and made clean by God's grace. God washes us in the blood of his son, Jesus. And I think Jesus really wanted Nicodemus to understand this spiritual birth. 
to understand that the, the spiritual birth has nothing to do with human effort. It doesn't have to do with human ability or will or choice. It begins with God. In verse 3 and 5, if, if those verses were not enough to make that point, that it is God's sovereign grace at work, Jesus said in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The new life comes from the birthing process of the Holy Spirit in us. The birth he's talking about has nothing to do with human ability. It's not blood, not flesh, not mind, will, or desire of man. The new birth doesn't originate with us. If man contributes anything to the new birth, these verses flat out don't make any sense of what Jesus is saying. The birth Jesus is talking about is initiated by the Holy Spirit. It's brought by the Holy Spirit and the power of God. God moves in us. God does the work, just like mommy does the work in the delivery room. What verse 6 means is that the spiritual birth happens by the design and influence and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that hit you? I think we should celebrate that because Jesus did. We should celebrate the sovereignty of God and his power to work in sinners to effectually draw them to himself. We should celebrate this truth, not run from it. This should light up our faith. This, should, this is the very bedrock that a sovereign God pursues the sinner and has the power and effect to bring them to new life. That is to be celebrated because without that sovereign power of God, none of us get saved. And so if you're saved and you hear God sovereignly save me, you say, yes, yes, he worked in me, he changed me, he didn't have to, but he did, and he had the power to bring it about, and that'll just light up your life. And guess what? If he brought you to faith, he will not lose you either. He will keep you until the final day. <laughs> this is assurance of salvation, folks. This is not live any way you want because God saved me and I can do whatever. That, you're missing the point. He saved you unto good works and he will keep you in those good works until the end. Not perfectly, but his grace is new every morning. His mercy is new every morning. It's there for us. This truth is repeated throughout the New Testament. This is not just in our text this morning. John already introduced this earlier in John 1, 12 and 13. He wrote, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The birth comes of God. The children of God are born of God. To be born of God is to be born of nothing else. There is no room for human effort in salvation, none whatsoever. The Bible attacks that view. So the moment we start adding in something that we did to be saved, we lost the gospel. It's gone. It's dead. It's over. All right, all of this is grace. All of salvation is grace. Later on, John writes, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. It doesn't even matter. We don't help God out. He can take care of salvation himself. Peter wrote, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. God causes us to be born again. So what is Jesus essentially, strip it away, what is he essentially telling Nicodemus? 
Nicodemus, your religion is not going to get you very far. Nicodemus, your, your patterns of religious stuff, it's not, it's not going to save you, Nicodemus. Outward conformity can't save you. You need to be born again on the inside, Nicodemus. Billy Graham said this, very powerful. Jesus saw that Nicodemus had covered himself with religion, but had not yet found fellowship with God. It's not about externals. It's about relationship with God. Being religious and knowing God are very different concepts. Billy also said, some of us have changed on the outside to conform to certain social standards or behavior that is expected of us in our churches. But down inside, we have never been changed. That is what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. Doesn't that get you? Billy, Billy Graham, pierces right through one of the world's greatest evangelists and saying, you know what? We've just been trained to come to church, to do our Christian thing, to get caught up in the tradition and the religious stuff of it all. But have we been changed? Because none of the outward stuff, that doesn't matter. If you haven't been changed in the heart. Like the wind, it's mysterious. Jesus knew this would be hard for Nicodemus to swallow, and so he adds in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus recognized the mystery in this process, and so he added, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Like the wind, being born again is a mystery. But we know with certainty, with absolute certainty, that the Spirit causes it. Because Jesus says it. The word for wind and spirit are the same Greek word in verse 8. So it's kind of a play on words that Jesus is doing here. When people are born of the Spirit, it is a mystery like the movement of the wind unpredictable, uncontrolled. The Holy Spirit sovereignly and freely moves wherever he wishes. The Holy Spirit does the will of God. He does not do what we tell him to do. He is free, absolutely free, and the new birth is absolutely unpredictable. God has total free will to do as he pleases because he is God. And when someone is born again, it is because God planned it and the Spirit gave that person new life. Have you ever gone on the turnpike or in the area of Somerset, PA, and and seen the big white windmills? You know, sometimes those babies aren't moving. They're just still. And sometimes they're cranking. All right? Where does the wind go? I'm sure the power guys are like, come on, wind. We want you to come back. Make this profitable. Even though largely it's not. Sometimes they just don't move. Sometimes they do. Where does the wind go? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's here for a moment. It's gone the next, changing directions. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. This is mysterious. We can't perfectly figure God out. Nicodemus was right in verse 2. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. And Jesus was teaching him something about eternal life. Jesus took the time to explain to this religious man, this educated man, this brilliant man, but this very lost man how salvation works. I think Jesus wants us to hear the same thing. He knows you inside and out. He knows everything about you. 
And he knows whether you're born again or not. And his words cut right through to your heart. And he's saying to you this morning, you must be born again. You must be born again. And unless you are, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching the truth and he's allowing God to worry about the results. He's just stating the truth. It's not necessarily this huge application, some huge boom at the end of the sermon saying, you got to do this. Just consider his words. Consider what he says. Do you believe this? Are you born again? Did God change your heart? Maybe the application this morning is hear Jesus explain how someone is born again and believe it. Trust it. There are people that we want to be born again. There are friends, our sons and daughters, our siblings, our neighbors and co-workers. They may have grown up in the church or they may have never gone to church, but they are uninterested, unchanged, unaffected by Jesus. They simply don't care. They can't see. They're spiritually blind. They aren't in the kingdom because they haven't been born again. That needs to happen And when it does, repentance is going to be there. Faith is going to be there. Good works, they're going to be there. A life lived for Jesus will be there if someone is legitimately born again. If that change happens, people who are changed by God don't burn out. They run to the finish because God's grace takes them to the finish. He sets them on a new course. He set us on a new course. He gave us a new beginning. He gave us a new start. And there are people that we know that are longing for just another start. They want to hit the reset button. Cannot happen unless they are born again. Born again. We can't change people. Oh, how we wish we could sometimes. But the reality is it's outside of our control. We can't change people, but we want them to be changed. And so what do you do with that? You pray. You love. You serve. You yearn to see them be born again, and you call down from God, please work in my friend because he doesn't know you. He's completely blind. He's not a part of the kingdom, but I want him with me in the kingdom to enjoy all that I enjoy. So God, would you change him? Holy Spirit, would you give him the new birth? Would you regenerate him? Would you give him a new start? You think God hears prayers like that? Do you think God uses Love like that to give people a new beginning. Pray for it, Jerusalem. Hope for it. Believe in it. No one, no one is beyond hope. No one is lost. That person that you've known for 60 years that hasn't changed for 60 years is not beyond the grace of God. They can still be changed when the new birth happens. No one is a lost cause. No one is beyond the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. You're not beyond the new work of God in you. To start new, to start again. I hope this is delightful to you, that you love this message of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We are here for you. 
to celebrate you. And sometimes the Bible brings us texts that are a little bit more difficult to understand. But God, in that, there are principles that are so clear for us. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will produce the right mind and heart here at Jerusalem. That we will think right thoughts about you and about your holy word. That our presuppositions would not get in the way of your truth. That our assumptions would not blockade us from understanding more fully your character and design and intent. God, would you do a work of grace in us? Would you lead us in the truth? God, help us to treasure these realities that you have spoken to us, that we know Jesus said and believed in. And so, God, I pray that this is the song of our life. My God is sovereign. My God is good. My God is king, and he saved me, and he saves sinners by causing the new birth in their lives. God, may that be precious to us. Help us during this last song to truly give praise to you, the Lord, the Almighty, who reigns over all things. In your name we pray, amen.